0: with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 43. We're spending a few weeks here in Isaiah 43. We've taken a break from our study of Acts, uh, which seems like we've had a, had a long break, but summer has flown by and Bloxy schools actually start this week, so uh, back to the old grind again. Uh, I'm sorry to say that to our students. Uh, too bad for you. We've been there and done that. But the study of God's Word goes on, and uh, we're going to spend a few more weeks probably in Isaiah 43 until we return to our study of Acts. But just such a rich passage. I was thinking as I was uh, reflecting on, once again, this, this wonderful passage uh, of the uh, the California Gold Rush, and uh, when a miner would strike it rich, you know he would hit the mother load uh, and you know maybe go into a to a mine, and there's there's gold all in the walls, and just that I could imagine the uh, the joy that the old miner would be dancing around. This passage is kind of like that. It's a gold mine of of God's love and mercy, and so we're going to mine it a little bit more today. Uh, as we uh, spend some time here in Isaiah 43, we're only going to read the first four verses today, and we're going to focus in on one more aspect of, of what God has promised us here. But now, thus says the Lord He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. May God bless the reading and hearing of His holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. When a child engages in bad behavior and you discipline the child, whether it be through a punishment or just letting them face the consequences of their actions, whatever that might be, at the end of that, it's important to reassure the child that your relationship with that child is restored, especially if you deal out some punishment. They need a hug. They need to know that you love them. And, and in fact, the reason that you're in, disciplining them is that in fact you do love them and you want them to, to go in the right direction and, and uh, you want the best for them. And so a hug, a reassurance, they need to be reassured of, of your love for them. And any anxiety they have on that account should be dispelled. Now reassurance is important. You know, we maybe we remember feeling like that as a child, wanting to, to you know, maybe getting in trouble and wanting to to come back and and know that it's okay with our parents. All of us from time to time need reassurance about any number of things. Um, This weekend we went to Birmingham for a family wedding. And, and Sarah is a, a much, much better navigator than I am. I, I have no sense of direction. Uh, I, I get lost coming to work every day. And, and I, you know, for those of you who don't know, I live on the backside of the church. So uh, I just don't want to end up in the water somewhere. But I have no sense of direction. And so when we were driving around Birmingham, you know, they got the hills and turns, and, and we were uh, winding our way through neighborhoods. It was reassuring to me that she was in control of the GPS and that she could tell me where we were going because I would have been completely lost without it. It gave me confidence to know that that a competent person was pointing me in the right direction. Reassurance is something that we all need from time to time in relationships, at work, wherever we might be. Well, this passage before us today is, like we've been saying, one of the most reassuring uh, passages in all of Scripture. When, uh, when we were with family this weekend, my father-in-law asked me what I would be preaching on today, and I told him Isaiah 43, and he said, oh, that's one of my favorites. And then he proceeded to make sure I knew that on his deathbed, he wanted me to be reading Isaiah 43 to him. He, he was so reassured by that. I felt a little uncomfortable about having that conversation, uh, but uh, he understood, and, and I understand as well, it is a very comforting and reassuring passage. You'll notice that in verse 1 and verse 5, God tells his people to fear not. Now, Isaiah's audience, the people who had been reading this, had reason to fear that God had abandoned them, that he had rejected them because of their sin, particularly idolatry, which is spiritual adultery. You know, they ran after other gods. And when you run after other gods, you have reason to think that the God you're supposed to be following might just say, well, take off and don't come back. And so they had reason to fear and to think, will God restore us? Will he welcome us back? Will he forgive us? Well, Isaiah 43 is God's emphatic yes to that question. Now, there are times when you and I may doubt God's love and care for us, most notably when we have difficult times. Times of trial, tribulation, illness, whatever it might be. Times they're discussed here that we've read about. Now in response, God gives us this goldmine of reassurance. And we're working through these reassurances. Last week we talked about the redemption provided by God that's mentioned there in verse 1. And, and this week we want to look at just one idea, this idea of Substitution substitution God ransoms his people with a substitute he says here especially in verses three and four uh, God says in in verse one and two uh, I have not abandoned you in the midst of your trials when you pass through the waters when you when you face the fire uh, I am with you I, I have not abandoned you and he goes on and he gives the reason for that in verse three let's pick it up again for. I am the Lord your God. I have not abandoned you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. And you think, what what in the world does that have to do with us living today in 2015, giving Cush and Seba? Now, Cush and Seba, Cush is Ethiopia, what would be, be considered as Ethiopia then. It was a little north of where it is today. But of course we know where Egypt is, and, and it's just nations that are south uh, of, of Egypt, Cush and Seba. Uh, really a poetic way to say the nations, or in fact the whole world, but specifically Egypt is one that we're concerned about here. Of course ransom is the, the price to be paid for release. Um, you know, the kidnappers I was, I was looking up, and my internet stopped working, uh, I was looking up the most famous 20th century kidnapping. Uh, anybody remember what that was? It was the Charles Lindbergh baby. He was kidnapped. Now, if you're, if you're not an old person, uh, see, the people who nodded are sorry now, because uh, young people you know, probably don't even know who Charles Lindbergh was, let alone his baby. Uh, but it was a great kidnapping case, and, and of course, in a kidnapping you know, they want a million dollars ransom. You pay the ransom so you can get the loved one back. Well, Egypt and the nations, it's told here, they are a ransom for Israel. They are the payment or the sacrifice so Israel can be released from slavery. This is a reference back to the Exodus when God rescued his people from bondage of from slavery there in Egypt. God had set his love on Israel, the people of God, and he rescued them. They had fallen into bondage, into slavery, and mistreatment there in Egypt. God saw their suffering, and because they were his people, he did something about it. And and when he pulled them out and rescued them from Egypt, the judgment fell upon Egypt. Now the New Testament tells us that, well, we can, we can draw some parallels from this, this passage for us because of what the New Testament tells us. Because we might read the words here, Jacob, Israel, uh, Egypt. These are all things that happened thousands of years ago. What do they have to do with us? Well, when it says Israel or Jacob, it's talking about God's people. And the New Testament tells us that we have been grafted into Israel. We're part of the people of God as well by faith in Christ. Paul tells us that God has broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And he's turned the two men into one. He says that in Ephesians. Christians are a part of Israel, the people of God. And so Isaiah 43 applies to all who put their trust in God's provision of salvation through Christ. So these, these wonderful words of reassurance and comfort are not just for people who had lived so long ago, who had went through the exile and, and were wondering if God liked them. It's for us today who blow it, who fall into sin and wonder, will God restore me? Will he welcome me back in? Will he once again embrace me? The emphatic answer of Isaiah 43 is yes. Yes, he will. He will because he has provided a substitute for us. He tells us in verse 4, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Now, let's look at those words, he says. The reason that he's going to provide this substitute, that he's going to ransom them, is because... They are precious in my eyes. God likes to talk of his people uh, in, in the Old Testament as a treasured possession. It's a beautiful word. It's, it's something that he values highly. It's like a, like a, a rare jewel. That's, that's what this word, uh, the context, this word would be in, in which this word would be used, that uh, it's highly valuable. So God looks at his people as precious something that he highly values and he says you're honored and the word honor there is the same word uh, for glory and the word glory is the same word for weight so if something is weighty it has value Uh, you know we have paper money I've said this to you before we have paper money so a dollar bill and a ten dollar bill weigh the same as far as I know I mean maybe the ink makes it uh, you know A little different, I don't know. But in those days, of course, you you bought things with silver or gold, and so you weighed it out. So the the heavier, uh, the more expensive something was, the heavier would be the bag of gold that you had to provide. So when it talks about something being uh, uh, glorious, it means it's weighty, it has value, it's important. So what this is saying is that God looks at his people and he says, You're precious. I value you highly and, and you're very important to me. Sometimes we may not feel like we're very important to the Lord, especially when we sin and we we feel like the little child, you know, I've disappointed my mom and my dad, and I just want to run away. And of course that's the feeling Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. They were ashamed. And they ran away, they hid themselves from the Lord. But God went looking for them. He searched them out because he loves them. They're precious to him. And he values them highly. And the same is true for all of his people in all time. God has placed upon his people an esteem he does not show to other peoples. And here we are, back to Israel and Egypt. He valued Israel and he rescued them out. Egypt paid the price. Love involves choice and exclusion. We don't like to think about that often, but it does. And we can understand it maybe uh, if we put it into a human context. Um, in regarding his people as valuable and precious, God singles them out for particular attention. We say, well, maybe that's not fair, but you go read Romans 9 about that. But think about this. Uh, marriage. We attended a wedding in Birmingham, like I said before. And uh, you know, at a marriage... Uh, a groom is uh, saying to the bride I'm choosing you out of all the other women in the world when I married my wife Sarah I singled her out particularly and I have now have a relationship with her that I have with no one else when I chose her I I eliminated all other women from the opportunity to have the fullness of my affection and love Now, all the other women in the world might be really thankful for that. But with God, it's a different story, okay? To have God's love and favor is what we all desire. And when he singles us out because he loves us and he treasures us and values us, that is is a great reassurance. To be reassured of his love. You know, Sarah's reassured of my love today as I'm standing publicly proclaiming it. And that doesn't mean anything to any of you. Uh, You think, oh, that's sweet. But when God reassures us of his love for his people, of course, that includes all who, who have called upon Christ. To have God's love and favor is what we all desire. To be reassured of his love is sweeter than any other reassurance that we might have on this earth. God has singled out a people to be the objects of his love and it's not simply in words. And this is where we get to the substitution part. He demonstrates his love. You know, it's one thing to tell someone you love them, uh, but if you'd never you know, do anything nice for them or have anything really to do with them on a daily basis, they're not going to believe that you love them. You, you really don't love them, you might, even though you might say you do. God says he loves us and he demonstrates his love. Verse 4, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. So the Israelites, they could look back in their history and see a time when when God himself knocked out one of the most powerful nations in the world on their behalf. And when they passed through the waters, God was with them when, the, when he parted the Red Sea, and they were... They were in that stressful situation of having an army at their back in and in a sea in front of them. They were trapped. And they passed through the waters. God rescued them and then God brought judgment upon Egypt. Matthew Henry says it like this, the old Puritan commentator on this passage. He says, Egypt shall be sacrificed rather than Israel shall continue in slavery when the time has come for their release. And this was reckoned a great thing. and Now now let's bring this to home to us today. Uh, If it's a great thing, if they can celebrate here that that God has has rescued His people that He loves and sacrificed Egypt, Cush, Seba, and whoever else He might have sacrificed for their behalf, how much greater is it? What greater reason do we have to admire God's love for us in that he gave his son to be that ransom for us. What, uh, Matthew Henry says, what are Cush and Seba, all their lives and all their treasures compared with the blood of Christ? They pale in comparison to the Son of God. Now when we talk about a substitute, that Christ is our substitute, he came in our place. He was sacrificed and paid the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay that penalty. He fulfilled all righteousness for us because we can't fulfill all righteousness because we're sinners. When we talk about a substitute, that's what we mean, that Christ is our substitute. Sometimes when we think of the word substitute, it conjures up images of a teacher, substitute teachers. And substitute teachers, you know, let's be honest. Some of you are some of you are substitutes. I don't want to insult Substitute teachers, but honestly, substitutes are not the real thing. And and we all remember when we had a substitute teacher, it was kind of a day of rejoicing, especially for all the naughty kids in class, because you could get away with a little bit more, and you, you probably didn't have to do as much work, and you might be able able to teach this, talk the teacher out of doing anything at all of value. Maybe they're just glorified babysitters. So we might have those kind of images when we when we think of the word substitute. But we should not have that kind of thought about Christ being our substitute. He's greater than, than the thing that he's substituting for. He's greater than us. He's perfect. And he's the Son of God. He's divine. Uh, and he willingly took on flesh and died in our place to show, well, A, to pay for our sins, but to show God's love. He was, he's the demonstration of God's love. He came and did something about our sin problem. 1 John 4 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means a sacrifice to atone for our sins. A Sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. He, he paid the price for us. He ransomed us so that we could be brought back into his family, embraced by the Lord. Therefore, we have nothing to fear, as this passage encourages us, if we are the Lord's, we have nothing to fear. We should be reassured by these wonderful words. And to echo, to echo Isaiah 43 by reading Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. See again, that substitute. He gave him up for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things and the greatest thing that he gives us is his love and that's what's being described here is this a reassure is this reassuring to you today uh, do you find this comforting or do you live in fear uh, do you have anxiety are you are you wondering if you indeed uh, have God's favor well, let me encourage you that you can have this kind of relationship with the Lord. It's available. The Bible tells us many, many places, but I'll just quote one. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All it requires is for you to call upon the Lord. He will cleanse you from your sin. He will welcome you into his family. So there's no need to live in fear. There's no need to have anxiety. But you have a a loving Heavenly Father. Yes, you may have to walk through the the, the fire, you may have to ford some rivers in your life, but what does he say? He will be with you because he loves you and cares for you and values you if you're his child, if you're his people. The table we come to today is a, reass, a re, is reassurance for us again. And let's prepare our hearts uh, now in just the next few moments. As I pray for us, as our uh, elders and such get to their places and our musicians move, We'll pray and prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for the reassurance that you give us in your word, and now we thank you for the reassurance that we look forward to in the table. Pray, Lord, that you would give us discernment and understanding. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would uh, make it a means of grace for us, a way for us to grow in grace and, and, and to experience your great love and to be reminded of it and to have it signified and sealed to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.